draw attention to that last line. It's a, it's a beautiful line and expresses a deep truth. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. I don't think that's what the... In fact, I know that's not what the world thinks. And yet that is what we would say. A life of self-renouncing love is one that frees us. One that isn't bound to service to ourselves. Wasn't One that isn't selfish and self-seeking. And in that we see true liberty. A beautiful reminder in this song of what the Christian life is in following after Christ, who is that embodiment of self-sacrificial love and service. This evening we turn again to Deuteronomy as we turn there this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We will read verses 32 to 40. That's found on page 190 in your pew Bibles. As you're turning there, just to set the context again of what we heard this morning. This morning we saw in Moses' speech to the people that we are, we are those, a nation, a people of God, that have a God so near and a law so righteous, as he points back to the people in their history, what they've gone through, what they've struggled with, how they have failed and sinned against the Lord. And then he ends in the section, the verses immediately preceding this, with that threat of punishment that would come on the people were they to forsake the Lord, that they'll, they'll, they'll be exiled. And yet the faithfulness of the Lord to bring them back. And we saw that verse 31 is that sort of crescendo, that high point of those verses, but it's also a bridge to this text, as, as now we see the Lord in this, this section of Scripture unpack just how special a standing we have, just how deep His, his love is for His people. Before we read this text, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we turn to your word, a great, great privilege, a privilege for which we too often find no real appreciation, that we have your words at our fingertips, and though the people may once have heard a voice from Sinai's hill and a mountain that quaked with thunder, we have before us a far greater deposit of revelation a far more fulsome, a far more glorious revelation as it is the, the concluding, the fulfilled and finished revelation of your Son. And we ask, Lord, that we would hear this for what this is, your very words of authority to your people. Speak to us and may we have hearts receptive to your words, we pray. Amen. Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven... He let, you, he, he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, 
And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Ascends the reading of God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Ask now of the days that are past. That's how this text begins. Question the days. Question history itself of all that has taken place, of everyone to have ever lived, of any God who had ever been served. Ask them, ask this question, has anything like this ever been done? Has such love been displayed on this scale? Has such faithfulness ever been seen? Has such care for God for his people been witnessed and known? Has there been such a special privilege to hear the voice of Creator itself, of the very divine power, speak, and you heard and didn't die? Ask of the days. Has this happened? This is what Moses asked, but this is God asking it through Moses. His mediator, his servant, the leader of the people, directing to the people, ask of your story. What does it reveal? What do the days past show? And as we briefly began this morning, we do again, we, we ask a very similar question at a time when we generally look back at years past and look forward to what lies ahead. We'll ask of those days, have we seen their like before? Have we seen such a story play out? It's a fitting question. It's a good question. What we hear is that the story that Moses presents, our story, the story of God's people, is one that is unmatched. It's the likes of which has never been seen or heard. It's astonishing. It's, and now this word has been devalued, it's been overused, it's awesome. Awe-inspiring. On its own level, nothing can compete with it. There's no other story. There's nothing so grand. There's nothing so great. There are no deeds in history. You can think of, open your history books and think of what's been done. Think of the wars that have taken place and the heroes that we know and the greatest of the commanders and the greatest leaders and all these things. And what you will find there might be great men according to our own understanding. Might be great men as we would value them. But have you ever heard of a sea being ripped open to allow a whole multitude of people walk through it? Has it ever happened before that a nation of slaves, without lifting a weapon, was able to defeat a nation of Egypt, a nation far greater than itself? Has that ever happened? Because God intervened? We have an amazing story. We have an amazing history likes of which is unparalleled. And what we see is that our unmatched story reveals the truth that our God alone is Lord. 
which demands our obedient embrace. Our unmatched story reveals the truth that our God alone is Lord, which demands our obedient embrace. That's Moses' point here. This story unmatched presents the truth for life. The Lord alone is God, and we are his people, and therefore we live embracing him. We see that in our first point this evening, a story unmatched. Rather simple, it's a story unmatched. It's one unrivaled. You can think of those who might say, you know, you've never heard of this before. You won't believe this. And we say that all the time. You won't, you won't believe what I just saw. Maybe it is describing something pretty cool. Maybe it is describing something pretty great. But when you truly apply that to this message, it, it is. It's every bit of those words. You wouldn't believe it. If someone were to just come out and tell you this, you'd find it hard to say, really, did that actually happen? And it did. To help unlock our great story, to help unlock the truth of a story unmatched, we should ask the question, what is... A Christian. What does it mean to be Christian? What is Christianity? This morning we asked the question, what makes us distinct? What makes us special? And we saw that it is the, the nearness of our God. It is the righteousness of his word by which he's revealed to us. This is what pulls us out. It's God coming to us. Him revealing himself to us. He chooses us. That's, that's what makes us distinct. But to ask it in a bit of a different way this evening, what does it mean? What is Christianity? Is it a system of beliefs? Believe this. Trust. Knowledge. This is what you're to hold to. Is that what Christianity is? System of doctrines. Or is Christianity a moral code? Do this. Obey this way. Walk this way. Is it ethics? Is that what Christianity is? You see, it contains both of those, but it's far greater. It's, it, it's greater than the sum of those two added together. What we are, we are people of a story. We are people who respond to a story. There's a power in in a story, especially the story of redemption. Redemption is first... A story. A true story. You see, stories and what happens in them fill out the details. They explain who, who you are and why you are what you are. They explain it. Doctrine is very, is very helpful. It's needed. It provides clarity and glasses for us to look at the story, to better understand what's going on there. But doctrine is serving the story. It's serving what God is doing. His plan. You see, Christianity and what we are are those in response to what the Lord is doing. It's, it's the correct belief. It is that. It's the correct belief in response to a story, but it's based on what's been done in history. It's been based on what has happened. It's also a moral code and telling you what to do, but we base this on the fact that it is the Lord who created. It's the Lord who redeems. It's the Lord who calls us to do these things. And so it is a system of beliefs. It is a system of ethics. But it's really in response to the actions of the Lord. It's a response to redemption. To those who've been saved. That's what we are. And that's why it's important to tell the story. To know it. You can say, and this is factually correct, the Lord is your Savior. And that's great, but... 
You see, that doesn't mean much if you don't know the story. What are you saved from? And how did he save you? And what does that mean for the future? It's the story that fills that out, and that's what Moses is doing. Ask a question of your story. Ask a question of the days that are past. Ask a question of history itself. We see that there is a God who does marvelous acts, that there is a God who loves, who disciplines, who saves, who redeems a God, and who he is and how he is known is known most clearly in what he's done. And so Deuteronomy 4.32, For ask now the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, that's since it began. Ask since it began, from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. And so what I would say, brothers and sisters, enjoy your story. Enjoy your story and know it's truth. You know, a wife could come to a husband and say, do you love me? And a husband can say, yes, you know that I love you. Yes, I love you. What is a factually, in this scenario, true statement? And yet for the husband to instead respond with a story, how, how could you question that? You know that I've given my entire life for you. You can look around this house and see everything that I've gifted to you and given to you because I love you. Remember that time when we were wherever. And I did and said this and showed you that love. Remember this time when I, when I showed that love and gave of myself to you. And, and I will always love you. I will always show that love. You see, that's, that's a much deeper answer. It's far more rich than just, yeah, I love you. You know that. How amazing that that little illustration is actually taking place in God's word, but it's God telling it to us. Ask of everything to know that I care for you. It's, it's astonishing, our story, and we are to enjoy it. Moses asked these rhetorical questions. He asked whether such events like the Exodus have ever occurred at any other time in history or whether an event like the law giving at Sinai has an equal. And that makes sense that he would, he would point to, to Sinai and what just happened, what the people had experienced, what their ancestors experienced, where the Lord visited the people and they heard his voice. That's a, a great opportunity to show, remember that. Has, that. has that like, has that like ever happened? Has everything like that ever been done? And, and those people actually lived to tell the tale and survived. Moses asked the rhetorical question, has it ever happened that God has chosen a people in captivity? A helpless people, and then delivered them by great signs and wonders. And the answer to all these rhetorical questions is, of course not. It, it hasn't. There is no greater story of love. There is no greater story of care. There is no greater story of power. And God wants his people to know that. And so Moses tells the people, you ask it of yourself. Ask it of your story. Well, how, how does that help us here now? Well, we are to do the same in our own doubts. You see, the people are doubting. We saw that this morning in the context of what Moses is doing. They're about to try to go conquer a land to fight against, as even our text says, against nations mightier than them against nations that they had fled and had to enter years of wandering because they said, those are giants and we're grasshoppers. We can't. 
And that's what they're supposed to do, to go conquer. They're losing Moses himself, too. We saw that this morning as well. And so they are in a position of doubt. We are in a position of doubt so often. Well, will, will the Lord really be there for us? Will he really protect us? Will he really be there in my situation, in this doubt that I have of him, or my fear of the future, or the hardship that I'm enduring? This doesn't look like love. It doesn't look like that in the circumstances I'm in. Does he truly care? And we should ask the same question. Ask of the days past. Ask of history itself. Is there a greater example of love and care for God to his people than what we have in our own history of what he's already displayed to our forefathers and to us? The answer, of course, is no. In response to the questions, it's clear that these acts are really the stuff of legend. By saying it that way, you don't mean myth. It's legendary. It's the stuff that, that allows no rival. God won't allow a rival of mighty acts that he has done. Verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? You see two points here of the greatness that the people have experienced. This event at Sinai is first great because God actually spoke. And that's amazing. That's amazing that a multitude of his people came to this mountain and saw all that he was doing and heard his voice. Now it made them, they made them scared. It terrified them. They put forth Moses as their, their shield and their mediator and intercessor. They wanted that, but they heard it. They heard God speak. What other religion can boast of that? Some try. They're myths. They don't have this. They don't have this history. They don't have this truth. They're not truth, but this happened. So that's the first part of this that's amazing at the law giving. They heard God speak, but then there's something even greater because they heard it, they heard the voice of the divine, of the holy, all-powerful one, and lived. They weren't wiped out. That is such a mark of God's care and his love for his people that he spoke to them and this wicked community, we saw this, we went through Exodus, they couldn't even touch the mountain, they had to cleanse themselves, they had to prepare this, this wicked people, this sinful people, heard the voice of pure power, true power of holiness, and we're not consumed. You see, you see in this text what Moses is saying is, that's God caring. That's God watching over you, that you were able to hear such a voice, and yet weren't dead. That's what's amazing in that. And then verse 34, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? This is where in the Exodus, God really did flex those muscles, the plagues and power God showed in defeating Pharaoh, the war he won in drowning the army, his power to save. You see, this is the importance of story. It is one thing to say God is all-powerful. It's another thing to witness that power. It's one thing to say that God cares for his people. It's another thing to read the Exodus and see what he did. And then continuing past the Exodus as we have it, it's, it's one thing to say God cares, and it's another thing to see him come and die for you. Has any story this equal? 
story that has no match. You know, in, in Exodus itself, there, the magicians of Egypt should answer that question. Has anything like this ever been done? Well, they tried to mimic the, the power of the Lord. They tried to mimic the plagues until they got to the point where they said, you know, we got nothing. We have no power here. We can't replicate what's being done. They even answer it. Of course, there is no power like that. But for us, us seated here today to ask the questions of the days past since creation, is there a story so great? Well, let's add some to this. Let's add to what Moses said as he recounts these things. We've seen the one with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, our God, come eclipsing what he did with Egypt in its fulfillment. We've seen nations raging and plotting in vain because the Lord's anointed has come to Zion and has obliterated them in the process. For he reigns and he rules. We've seen the one who with the finger of God cast out demons groveling before him. Has anything like that ever occurred in these days past? Who brought the mighty acts of God's provision and power? Who was able to show forth so much power that he could produce food at will? How he could control seas and the storms? How he controlled waves and the spiritual power? How he could raise up from death itself? Has we ever seen the like? We haven't. The very coming and incarnation of truth power, wisdom, and God himself. We've never seen their like before. We have a God who calls us in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, in 1 Peter 5, 6, you see Peter use that term under the mighty hand of God. That's a term for power, that exodus deliverance, his outstretched hand, that, that hand of power that's able to do these things. And it's in that hand that he will care for you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The story of our redemption is one amazement of wonder that is unparalleled, unmatched story. And we see in our second point the truth for life. We see it in verses 35 to 39 that God is gracious enough to do all these things for a perfect purpose. In verse 35, to, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. This is why the Lord did it. To you it was shown that you might know it. On one hand, this is just a statement of monotheism. It's just a statement that God alone is God. But, but it's actually not just that. It's a statement that there is only one God and he's yours. You're his. Believe in him. Embrace him. This is the truth that brings life. This is the truth for life. And he's done these things. He's done this unparalleled, unmatched story so that we would know that he alone is the Lord. That there is no other. There is no other salvation. There is no one else to serve. There is no better story told than him. Verse 36 explains why God spoke to them. He spoke so that he could discipline and draw near to them. The discipline here that he's speaking of is the discipline that is of instruction, of training, of warning, of guiding, of molding. Or rather, father-parent-like description that he could discipline them, disciple them, that he would be there for them. 
the burden of discipline is, is one that is to the parent. You know, how often don't we say that? How often don't we say, you know, uh, the grandparents will say this, uncles and aunts will say this. It's so nice when you're not the parent, you just, you know, have them for the good things, and then when they're in trouble, you hand them off, you pass them off, and, and the parents are responsible. The parents are responsible for whatever they're doing. The parents are responsible to correct them, to punish, to train, to nurture, to teach. Well, God has taken us on. He's taken that burden on himself. He doesn't just pass us off. He accepts us to do this very thing. And why? Why would he do that? Verse 37, because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them. Why are you here? Why are you sitting here? I'm assuming, and I'm going to speak to, to us all as if we are those who profess faith. We're true believers. And we ask that, well, why are we here? What brought us to this point? Because God loved you. That's it. Why will you be able to endure? Why will God's faithfulness keep you and you won't ever fall away? Because God loves you. Because God loved our forefathers and he loved their children and their children's children because he loved them through a covenant relationship that he made with us because we aren't so special. And yet he loves John 3.16 is not new. It's not as if the New Testament comes around and all of a sudden, now, there we go, we have a God of love. God's people always had him. He loved Abraham. He loved Jacob. And hated Esau. Choice by God's own good pleasure that we can't explain, and yet it's true. And so, believe and serve. That's what Moses is saying. Believe and serve. Chapter 4 as a whole sets out the triumph of grace. Okay, I want us to get this. We've read most of chapter 4. And I'm guessing if we were just to read chapter 4 again, what wouldn't stand out is that it's the triumph of grace. But it is. You see, we might be sidetracked by all the calls of law-keeping and obedience and all these things, but what you see, remember, that just preceded our text was that you will fail and you will be exiled. And when this happens, God will show his mercy. And why will he show his mercy? Because he loves you. And it's a story unmatched and it's a story unparalleled and grace will triumph. That's what Deuteronomy 4 is saying. That's what Moses is saying. Even among all these calls to be faithful, trust and obey. This serves as the triumph of grace and as a testimony to the incomparability of the Lord. He is one that can't be compared. There's no one who can be compared to the Lord and his love and his grace. And that's why Moses sets out all these things that he's done. All these acts of our story of what's taken place to show you, have you had a God so near like we saw this morning? There are stories so great 
undergirding the claim of verse 31, that Israel will return because God is gracious, is his compassionate catalog of all these things that the Lord has already done on their behalf and will continue to do. God's grace is triumphant. God's communication in word and fire, the mighty deliverance from Egypt, all of them proclaim one central truth, and that God is gracious and loving and faithful to his people. That doesn't change. God authenticates this. The Lord our God is one, is what Israel was their creed, the Shema. The Lord our God is one. There is no other. It takes a profound amount of grace and condescension of the Lord coming down to our level to bring us that truth. That revelation to know there's no other salvation. There's no other one who cares. And so verse 40 gives us the conclusion. Obedient embrace. Verse 40 says, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. We already dealt this morning with how that law-keeping looks and what that means. I'm not going to go into that again. But you see how the truth of our story, the truth of the Lord's love for us, brings to us an obligation, an embrace, embracing of these truths that it would characterize our life, that it would demand our obedience. Heed his law. Seek his righteousness. No blessings. Live for the Lord. Don't depart from him. Moses' point, and that's the point for us, don't fall away. Don't turn. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Moses has continued to make these points. God is absolutely unique. There's no one like him. God's uniqueness is shown by the concern and love he has made so clear to his people. His concern has been ex- expressed through power. This God has spoken a word to the people that is both awesome and unique. And Moses' point is that this unique, awesome God is personally committed to the Israelites and to these people. We have a New Testament counterpart to this as well. This truth of God's power and loving care for us is expressed by Paul in Romans 8.32. This is one of the most important texts in the Bible to motivate Christians to remain faithful to God. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the conclusion we take our story when we ask of our days past. Of all that has happened in redemption, what is the conclusion? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him to us, how will he not also give to us all things, meaning all that we need, all that we need for our continuation and perseverance? Stand firm and true. He is a God who loves. He's a God who loves with power. And that's the other thing Moses is saying here. Love without power doesn't do you much. There can be great acts of self-sacrificial love that don't have power behind it and so accomplish nothing. One commentator gave, I thought, a good example of this. A, A mother 
might display so much love, giving of her life as she could throw herself between her daughter and an attacker. She had the love, it was there. And yet the attacker had more strength, brushes her aside. Well, what good did it do her, her daughter that her mother loved her? She gave of herself but didn't have the power to thwart it. Well, the point here that Moses is making by giving us, you know what God did there, and you know what God did there, and you know that there is only one God, is to say that this God who loves us isn't impotent. He's powerful. There is no one who will insert themselves in between. There is no one who can stand there and push the Lord and brush him to the side. It won't happen. The Lord has power and strength. Paul says in Romans 8.31, the verse right before what I just read in verse 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, who can be against us? That's our story. And it's a story that should give us strength. It's a story that should give us hope as we go out to, to spread the kingdom of the Lord. It's a story that should give us hope even in our own personal battles that the God of this story, of that might and that power loves you and cares for you. Ask it of the days past. Our unmatched story is the story of Christ that eclipses what God had done for Israel and Moses in the Exodus. Our unmatched story is made far more grand and great, far far more deep than what God has done in his own body. The truth for life The truth for life is that God alone is Lord, but that truth for life has been filled out. It's been filled out to where we see how that is played out. What is that? That the the God God alone is Lord. Well, well, it's Christ who comes, and the, the New Testament church takes up that refrain, Christ is Lord. Becomes that much more particularized and centered. We know that truth for life. Christ is Lord by the will of the Father, equipped with the Spirit. Our obedient embrace is wholehearted trust in our triune God. As we seek to obey Him and Him alone. As years continue, as we look from one year to another, what won't change is this question. Ask of the days past. Is there a greater story of love and faithfulness and the story of God's love for his people. Amen. Let's pray to our God of love. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your word that reveals to us this great truth that in all the days of history past, and all the days, the number of which we don't know yet in the future, none will contain a greater being than you. And none will contain a greater story of your care for your people, of your power to deliver, of the triumph of grace. We pray that our response would be exactly what Moses says, that we would obey. Our faith would be that that seeks to do your will that we would respond in gratitude and so keep your law and that our embrace would be one of a wholehearted, wholehearted trust and faith in you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a wisdom, a wisdom to take this grand truth and be able to skillfully apply it to where we sit in our pew. 
That we would be able to take the grand truth of your love in a redemptive sense of your power and be able to see it in the, the trials and struggles that we face and how you are there and you are a God who cares and you are a God who protects. You are a God who is faithful. We thank you for this truth in Jesus' name.